Hey guys, what's up? Welcome to the first ever Jar of Dirt podcast. My name is Spencer and my co-host is Ray, joining me right now virtually. What's up guys? Today we're going to be talking about one of the biggest blockbusters out right now, Dune. Dune is a sci-fi epic directed by Denis Villeneuve and is based on the critically acclaimed novel of the same name by Frank Herbert. We've got a lot of great thoughts, so let's go ahead and get into it. Sweet. Do you want me to go first? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Um, so obviously I have been looking forward to this movie for a while. Um, I read the book. I'm on number two right now. Um, I'm looking, watching the trailers and looking forward to this movie for like the last, what, six months? But probably not that long. But it's been right. several so months. You, you'd, say, you'd say you're a pretty standard Dune fanatic, right? Somebody pretty invested in this world and whether or not the adaptation is successful. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I haven't read the entire, all the books. There's a lot of like extra lore he adds in each book. Um, but I've at least read the first one. Um, okay. I really liked it. Um, I watched the movie for the first time on Thursday evening, and I loved it. I mean, I, I cried several times. It was so good. Um, absolutely one of my favorite movies of the year by far. It, it's amazing. Um, what did you think? And you, you haven't read the book. Or, like, you only really no, watched the no, trailers. I haven't, you don't know I haven't much. read it. I just saw the trailers. I, I knew pretty much nothing going into it. Yeah. Um, I, I, yeah, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a pretty good movie. It was definitely one of the better sci-fi movies I've seen in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, I was really impressed by how they managed to make it such an in- intricate world and, like, so much character growth and development. There was a lot that was at stake. And I really appreciated that a sci-fi action film was able to feel... Like it was something more than just that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I think we've talked about this a little bit, but like the way it was shot, it didn't really feel like a movie. It just felt like a two and a half hour trailer. Yeah, um, it was weird. It was weird. I actually, when the movie first started, I legitimately thought I was watching a new trailer for Dune. And I remember thinking, you know, oh, this is weird. Normally they don't show a trailer for the movie before the movie starts. And then I just kept on going, and I realized, oh, this is like this is the movie. Yeah. You know, and I think part of why it has that feel is because the entire film is just so big. You know, a trailer tries to show all the biggest parts of a film, all the most interesting, most exciting things, but Dune is two and a half hours of just nonstop big action, big drama, big characters, big music. It's just big everything. It's definitely a larger-than-life experience. Yeah. Um, also, I don't know if you remember it. I only really like noticed it on my second watch because I've seen it twice now. The movie inter- starts really, really weird. Um, it starts with a black screen, one line of dialogue in subtitles, and like a yeah, really with the voice. Yeah. yeah, really like boomy, strange alien language. Yeah, that startled me, and it took me a little while to figure out what was going on with that. That's the voice, I think, right? No, it isn't, actually. I don't know. I honestly don't know what it is. It sounded like... Do you remember the scene on... Uh, what is it? Salusa Secundus? Um, you can't say planet names. I don't remember those. That's fine. Because um, I read the book, so I kind of remember them. Um, it's the scene where they're introducing the Sardaukar, like the the enemy army in like the white uniform. Um, uh, no, I don't remember, but that's okay. Okay. That's okay. Basically, there's a ritual going on. Um, there's a little bit of dialogue happening. There's a ritual that like there's a bunch of people. There's a bunch of like soldiers. They're getting. It's like it looks like their graduation, honestly. Um, 
people got... oh, the, the scene where they're like drinking the blood yeah they aren't drinking it but yeah they're like putting a little oh, bit of blood yeah, on their forehead blood on... okay yeah yeah, yeah. yeah I so that. yeah that scene there's like an, an announcer person the entire time was like oh, so you think it could have been something like that yeah i don't know why it would be like at the intro of that movie i don't know why it would be like that person giving the intro to the movie but it sounded very similar yeah, that makes sense. You know, that actually, that kind of leads into something else that I wanted to uh, discuss with you today. Okay. Is that this movie, it's very strange. Like, oh, know, yeah. it's not a bad movie by any means, and I'm not trying to say that. But no, it's, just, it's weird, and I think as someone who's an outsider who hasn't read the book and didn't know what to, what I was walking into, it was a little bit hard to understand at times, right? They have, yeah. they have these big confusing long names for things that were sometimes a little bit hard to follow um like the only long complicated name i remember out of anything was the house of atreides and that's because that's not even really that long of a name yeah and they say but, it all the time atreides yeah they say it all atreides. the time atreides yeah. that was pretty cool i did uh, enjoy that yeah um it was i mean it was it was good and i was able to follow the general beats of the plot but sometimes mm. like especially the main character paul he's like He's some kind of prophecy guy, right? The one or whatever. Kinda, but yeah. The, it's a little weird. The sci-fi yeah. fantasy name for him. It's dumb. I, I don't watch. Kiza watch. Kiza watch. Hatteratch. Yeah, I don't. I don't like that. That's um, my personal opinion. I. I mean, I oh, get no, that yeah. they're not from Earth. They don't have to follow the normal earthly constraints for a name, but it's just hard to relate to. You know, it's hard to keep in mind. And every time they said that, I was always like, "The what? What's that?" Yeah. Like, um, Lisan Al Gib, that was a good name. But they like they also take the time to explain it. Like there's a scene What's that, that So it's right when Paul Atreides walks out of the spaceship, like when like when they first get to Arrakis, and the crowd of people there, uh, they're like, Oh my gosh, it's Lisan Al Gib, it's Lisan Al Gib and then they start shouting it. Um See, I remember that and I also think that that's a bad name as well. That's just my personal opinion because See, I think we have the different perspectives, right? You read the books, so you're more familiar with seeing those names. But at least for me, as the more average viewer, it was just difficult to keep track of the complicated names. That's true. Well, even when you said you left to go to the bathroom, when did you leave to do that? <laughs> when? Yes. Like, what was the last uh, thing I... you remember before you walked out? There was no plot that happened during this time. I remember they met up with the... Let me see where her name was. Let me look it up real quick. <laughs> The um, the the judge of change or something, the chancellor of change. Oh, uh, Liet Kynes. No, what's what's the character's name? Liet Kynes. No, the judge of change. The judge, I am. Yeah, judge of the change. It's Liet Kynes. I yeah, promise. I don't, I don't care about it's, her name. It's the All black I care woman. about was her role. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's Liet Kynes. They met up with her. Met up with the Judge of Change. I'm not saying any of those ridiculous names because they're too hard to follow for. You're saying the actor's name or the character's name? The character's name. Yeah, Liet Kynes. Um, it, yeah, Judge of Change. Yeah. And yeah, I, I didn't miss anything. They were literally just flying, and she was explaining the process of spice mining. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, because the way we talked about this a little bit briefly before the podcast, um, you said you went to go to the bathroom, and they were flying in an ornithopter. Um. When they were explaining Lizan Al Gib, is right before. No, they I, saw, took I saw that scene. Okay, I saw that scene. Okay, that's yeah. fair. No, it's just 
as see this is something that you're not going to relate to right but as an mm -hmm. average viewer who hasn't spent time with this big thick book and seeing those things in print over and over again there's a lot of really complicated names that are hard to keep track of and that's something that a lot of sci-fi movies or sci-fi in general just kind of falls into yeah you know these big complicated names are a little bit difficult Lisa and I'll give um yeah i don't know i totally get that um that was something that lord of the rings did a good job of not doing um oh, yeah, they had, yeah, like ring wraiths and hobbits and shire all really easy to, to pronounce names and stuff that they say often enough that you understand it and memorize it you know mordor like it's very clear what is mordor and so these weird theoretical ideas like the kizawatch hatterach is just an idea but they say it so often right and if you're right. not looking at how it's spelled on a book or have the subtitles out it's really hard to figure out what they're talking about sometimes right exactly and so that's why i think that is the biggest barrier to understanding what's going on in that movie there's a lot of things that if they had simpler names would make <laughs> infinitely more sense and I know that's a very nitpicky thing to say but that was one of my biggest criticisms yeah but no it's there's a good a thing a lot to... of stuff yeah. i just couldn't understand at all i totally get that that makes sense um yeah. What what was the other point? Were we talking about anything else? Or we're just talking about the names. No, I'm just talking about the names. That was my biggest gotcha. thing that I just struggled to understand and okay. relate to in this movie. Did you did you understand the plot? That's something I wanted to get into. Like having not read the book, did you understand the plot at all? I understood the plot. I think the plot was very simple because it's not a full plot, right? Yeah. Um, like I mentioned in the YouTube video, um there there isn't too much that goes on in this movie at well, at the same time there is a lot that goes on in this movie but mm. it's not a full story you know this movie is the first part of presumably two maybe three movies i mean i don't know it's just part one of yeah. this one book right i think it's two the past and, two but yeah and so there's no real resolution the the conflict like everything about it it's all basically the first act of the movie mm -hmm. and so the plot feels very over and underdeveloped at the same time there's a lot of world building you understand house of atreides of uh, their relationship with the empire and what was the other house of who's um harkonnen hark yeah whatever house of harkonnen <laughs> yeah you understand what's at stake between them and you understand that they're taken out by house of harkonnen and everything mm. but there's not too much development of the story beyond that the the biggest thing that was really hard for me in terms of the plot is paul is having these dreams these visions throughout the entire thing mm -hmm. and none of them really pay off at all right yeah um none of them relate to anything or make any sense at all by the end of the movie and so to me that's just a lot of resolution that i just didn't understand yeah the the visions things i'm glad you brought that up because that's something i was thinking about um, the vision thing, that's a really hard line to cross. I mean, how do you portray a, a character trying to understand visions about stuff that, I mean, half of the stuff he saw was is going to happen um, many years in the future in some cases. Right, um, right, yeah. So those are things I don't hold against the movie other than the fact that I just think that it, it weighs down the plot. Yeah. I wish that I wish that all, like, the, the movie dune came out yesterday and then dune 2 came out today you know i think that a movie like this is going to suffer from having a two to three year gap in between film releases just because it's a I long time that. to wonder 
what's going on. Yeah, something that, because um, I watched a couple of reviews before we made this, something that one person said, and I, I hate to agree with him, um, but he was saying Dune would work really well as a TV show. Yeah, I agree with that and completely. I even, think it would be much better. Even the movie itself, like honestly, you could take the movie and just cut it into episodes and it would work. Oh, yeah, easily. Yeah, I hate to say that because I'm awful at watching shows. Um, I tend to watch a show like halfway through and then find something else, and I prefer Mm -hmm. movies. But really, Dune should be a TV show. It would just be way better. And instead of having two years to wonder and then, you know, forget the small details that are important, you just have a week to crunch on. Like if they had one episode is the fall of the city they're in and Duke Leto dies. That's one episode the next week like holy shit what's gonna happen to jessica what's gonna happen to paul what happened right. to gurney halleck you know you're, you're wondering all these things instead of you know the, the the movie ends with paul and jessica going with chani um to one of the fremen cities right yeah i think that that would be a lot better um, the one benefit, though, of it being a movie is that it's able to have a bigger budget, you know? So you Absolutely. Like, yeah. the highlight of the film, to me, is the spectacle of it all. Mm-hmm. You know, I've never seen a movie that is that cinematic to that degree. Yeah. And, you know, you have a massive budget that's able to help with that, and you have a big screen and a theater experience. You know, those are things that you're not really going to have with a TV release, and so... Even though the story itself would lend itself better to a TV series, I think that the spectacle is much better yeah. from a cinematic perspective. I mean, okay, I, I partially agree with you. However, that trend is starting to go away with shows like Game of Thrones, Mandalorian, um, and a couple other big shows. That trend of shows having a smaller budget is starting to go away now, which is awesome to see. Yeah, um, that's so- definitely true. Um, but... I just, I don't know. I don't think that you would have seen the same level of a spectacle. You know, part no. of part of what made this so cinematic and shocking is, like, the score and everything. Yeah. And scoring a TV show, is, I mean, it's just completely different than what you would do for a movie. Mm-hmm. And, like, one of my favorite things about... I think you unplugged your mic or something. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. So. Last thing I heard was. Thing, yeah, you're talking about the music. Yeah. The thing about the score that I. One of the things that I enjoyed so much about it was the voice. Mm-hmm. It's like this deep and grating, like soul shaking voice, right? And one of the things that I loved so much about it was in the theater, it's so loud that, like, it, it literally rattles you. You're moved by it. And that's something that you're never going to experience at home. So things like that and then just this booming score are much better viewed from a theater. So even if it did have a big budget, the spectacle would still just be reduced in terms of like volume and size. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. I I agree with all those points. Um, So you saw this um, at home, actually, before you went and saw it in the theater, right? I did, yeah. We talked about it. Because I originally wanted to go see it in an IMAX theater, but the nearest IMAX theater to me is about an hour and a half drive. Um, right. 
So that, that might have been worth it, but I was doing the numbers. It'd be like half a tank of gas to go watch this movie. And that that's a lot of money to go watch a yeah, movie. It's ridiculous. Yeah, ridiculous it's like one movie. And the same thing, like even if I saw a movie at like seven o'clock, it's not a bad time. I'd be getting out at like nine. Actually, it's a two and a half hour movie. So we're getting out at like nine thirty. I wouldn't get back to my room until like eleven. And that's ridiculous. Right. It's, it's a it's five hour commitment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, what I did is I got HBO Max because it came out on HBO Max on Thursday. Um, I watched it in my room on my own. And then I watched it in theaters yesterday. And I liked it in my room better. Um, I think it's mostly because the theater that I'm by is trash. I didn't realize how bad it was until I've had this back-to-back comparison. But it's absolutely garbage. Like, the resolution right. so then, at home was so better. My question to you would be... I mean, try to put aside the prejudice of your own of your own theater that you have, right? But do you think that yeah. viewing it at home is better than seeing it in theaters? Or, like, what, what would your recommendation be to the audience? I think... Oh, gosh. I think if you can... Like, if we were back... Because you and me are... If we were back... Like, if you remember, like, back home... Um, we had the Cinemark right by our house. It's a pretty decent theater. Not even like top of the yeah. line, but like it's a good theater. I remember watching movies like you and me went, watched Star Wars um, The Last Jedi there. Mm-hmm. We loved it. It was great. Um, I think if you have access to at least that quality of a theater, watch it in theaters. Um, and theaters, watching it in theaters helps the movie more because of box office revenues and stuff. Right. But if you don't, like the theater I went to, there's like next to nobody. And even this is how much I hate my theater and how much I hate the people who go there. And I've talked about this to you, to you before. I've been so mad at like people talking in the theaters. That's partially because of COVID, partially because of where I live. We think um, we can get into more of that, that as well. But like, there's a line where um, like the emperor's steward comes, and they're meeting House of Trazies to like sign a document, like formalizing um, that they're going to go to Arrakis. And he reads the document, and he says, like, do you accept this stewardship over Arrakis? And I heard in the audience, somebody goes, no. Like, I just mm. want to go up there and slap him. So that kind of stuff happens to me, like, every time I go to the theaters. And so if you're going to go to that kind of thing, just watch it at home. Like, buy some merch, maybe, to support the movie, and then watch it at home. Because um, that kind of stuff pisses me off, and it's not it's just not fun, you know? To be like so engrossed in a movie and so excited to see it, and then other people just don't care, and they're just you know there to watch a movie. Right, I hear you. I hear you. Um, I personally, I disagree. Right, I didn't see yeah. this movie at home, but to me, I think that you undervalue the spectacle of this movie. Right. So to anyone that's listening, I would 100% recommend that you go and see this movie at the theater. Um, I think it would be good to watch it again at home. Like I'm probably gonna watch it on HBO Max myself. Yeah. Um just you know, rewatch it, see things that I missed and everything, but the main attraction of this movie to me was the scale and scope of it. And I mean, no matter how good your resolution is at home, you're not going to get the same experience, you know? Unless you've got That's like fair. a home theater with surround sound and big booming speakers and you know, your chair is going to be vibrating. Like, you know, it's just it's a completely different experience. Yeah. The benefit of watching it on streaming is like you said you kind of create your own experience mm-hmm. and so you're not going to have other people distracting you or interfering with the movie um 
And then another thing is that this movie is definitely very long, and it's a bit of a slow burner. So yeah. it, it is kind of nice, like, to be able to take a pause if you needed to in the middle. Like, you know, like you mentioned, I had to go and use the bathroom, so I missed probably nothing. But, I mean, I couldn't tell you for sure. You know, I wasn't there. So yeah. if you're watching it yourself, you know, you can just pause it real quick, head over to the bathroom, come back, or, you know, just do whatever you need to do, and it's not a big deal. Yeah. And so there I was... think there's both Sorry, benefits. Too. Yeah. When I watched it at home, something I noticed, there's a couple of times where, like, Paul is having his visions um, or like something is said like really quietly. It was really nice because I, I was at home. I was able to just pause it, go back like 10 seconds, put on subtitles, figure out what they said, and then turn off subtitles again. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is one thing that really helped, especially like during his visions, like there's a little like eerie voices in the background. At some yeah. points, it's just supposed to be an eerie voice. At other points, it's actually lines of dialogue that aren't important, but I thought they could be. So I was able to go back and listen to it. So, see, to me, see, we, we always have tended to enjoy films a very different way. Yeah. Um, and so this is just something, you know, that's going to vary from person to person. That sounds like it's something that you enjoyed, but to me personally, when I'm watching a movie for the first time, I just want to soak it all in, you know, enjoy everything, and then any questions that I have, you know, the next time I watch it, or maybe the third time, like, you know, I just I can go back in the future and learn more about the film because I just like to... You know, go with the the natural beats and pacing of the movie. Yeah, that makes sense. I can see that. Yeah. Um, uh, I think so. Another thing about yeah. this movie that we've talked about a little bit, right, is all the world building. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there is a lot of it, Ray. Oh yeah. And the, the... a lot of it is very confusing. I think. Another. Oh, I have another. Oh, sorry. Oh, I want to hear. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just trying to figure out how to phrase it. Okay. I think that the world building, like a couple other things, does suffer some from the complex naming. Um, yeah. Because, you know, I, I'm never going to be able to remember the names of these things without Bene reading Gesserit, House Harkonnen, Kizawatch, Hattermatch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, all these things, like, I don't I don't even remember hearing some of the words that you're saying in the movie. Yeah. Um, not that they're not in there. I just don't remember them. Mm-hmm. And so it's a little bit confusing to follow along with. But, you know, overall, there's memorable spectacles. Oh, yeah. And it leaves you really wanting more. Yeah. One of my favorite scenes in this whole movie happens towards the beginning of the film. Um, okay. Where Paul is asleep in his room. He's having a vision, right? And then his mom wakes him up in the middle of the night and brings him over to uh, face this test from this w- woman. Mm-hmm. Um, with some confusing name that I can't pronounce. Oh yeah, Gaius, um, something, some or other. Yeah. Yeah, something, something or other. I know, I know what you're talking about. And it's the Reverend, just, Reverend Mother. Yeah. To any yeah, Dune Reverend nerds, Mother. Reverend Mother. Yeah. Yeah, I, I really, I love that scene, and I think it was a really powerful scene to build upon. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie could have been really heavily weighed down by exposition, and I noticed that. It wasn't too much, you know. This scene was super intense, super powerful, super driving. But you also were able to learn a little bit about the backstory of the world and the future and the potential. You know, it accomplished a lot of things while still being really engaging. And yeah. I was, I was very I, impressed. I was really surprised because, like I said, I, when I first watched this movie, um, 
the so they tried to make a Dune. I think it was in the nineteen eighties. Um, David Lynch yeah. tried to make Dune, and one of the biggest criticisms is there was a lot of exposition. And I haven't watched that movie, but I've seen the criticism. But I watched like the cinema sins of it. There's a lot of exposition, like a lot. This Which movie, makes sense. yeah, this movie does a really good job at presenting its world building. There's little snippets of exposition, and there's a little film books that he watches on. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a few scenes where I have to talk about what's going on, but they do it in like super clever way and i was i was really impressed yeah and they managed to make all those exposition bits part of the story another thing i really noticed when you're talking about like the holo books or whatever i liked the scene on um what's the name of the planet icarus arrakis arrakis yeah arrakis um when paul first arrives on the planet right he's studying in his room Mm -hmm. and he's looking at one of the the holograms and then the hunter-seeker drone came in. Yeah. And I love that the exposition actually became part of the set. I was, you know, I was really impressed that they were able to make that. That was really cool. Event. That was that was very impressive to me. Yeah. So that was, I've seen. That scene was in obviously in the book, um, and in the movie. In the book, he was, like, just like taking a nap, and he was just like lightly sleeping. I think he got up to like go look at something on his wall, and then the, mm-hmm. the hunter seeker came in. Um, one thing that the David Lynch movie did really badly is obviously it comes from a book, and this book is so it's it's an omni. I forgot what the word is. It's an it's an omniscient view, and so many times in the book you're hearing the thoughts of the characters like as they talk or as they fight. Right. Um, so the movie does a really bad job. What it'll do is it'll have the characters acting on on screen. They'll have a voiceover of them like whispering their thoughts, and it was awful. Like it just breaks the movie so much. Um, That's interesting. See, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go so far as to um, say that something like that is awful necessarily in a movie, especially one that I haven't seen. That's I true. have actually heard that Dune from 1985 actually has a pretty large cult following now there is that's so what i've heard there are some not, people who yeah, even it though it's not super you know great and super dramatic or whatever there's definitely a lot of merit to that so i would i wouldn't want to bash it too hard but i definitely get what you're saying that it, you know this movie very easily could have fallen into that trap of yeah. being very exposition heavy and boring yeah so i should i should come and say i haven't seen that movie so i really can't say whether or not it's a good movie so yeah, i shouldn't bash on it too hard um, but from the things I've seen, I've heard it's not amazing. Um, if you enjoy the movie, I, then not trying to offend anybody. Just I haven't seen it, and I only know what I've seen. Um, and the criticism you know, actually, I've heard. It could be interesting as a kind of follow up to this podcast if we actually went and saw the old one. And that that's not a bad idea. We're, we're both something interesting. Yeah, we're both broke right now. Um, right. And honestly, Dune <laughs> is such have to wait a little while. Yeah, and Dune is such a lore-heavy thing. It might be a good idea to take a little bit of a break, so we're not comparing them like directly back to back. Um, that's not a bad idea. Yeah, not maybe around idea. the time the next Dune film comes out, you know, so I don't spoil the epicness of the sequel for yeah, myself. Yeah, I like it. I like it. Could it. be fun in the future. Well, actually, that wouldn't be good. The original Dune film, it was one film, so it would spoil the plot for you when this Dune right, two comes out. Right, that's what I meant. That's what I meant. I, I see what you're saying. After we I see. Okay, I thought you meant like right before. Okay, but yeah, right after would work. Um, with talking about Dune two, what do you think is going to happen in the next book? Obviously, I know the plot because I've read it, 
Um, so I can only guess at how they're going to portray the plot, but you don't know the plot at all. So what do you, where do you think the plot goes from here? See, this is difficult, right? This is something that I don't really know. Um, because, like I mentioned before, I don't think that the first film accomplished much in terms of a plot. So I think that the no. second film is probably going to have to do a lot of very heavy lifting with mm -hmm. their plot. Um, you know, there's so many things that I don't know that I don't even know what I don't know. I assume yeah. that by the end of the second movie, or I mean, maybe not, because I guess you mentioned that there's multiple books in this series, right? Mm -hmm. But the things that I've seen from the first movie... I'm expecting Zendaya to actually be in the second movie because she was in the first movie for like five minutes. She has like ten lines. Yeah. Hardly in it at all. She's um, she's in the visions more than she is like actually in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. She's barely in this film at all, which is surprising because she's a pretty significant part of the trailers. Yeah. Um, so I'm expecting more of Zendaya, more of the what's what's the name of the sand people? The free the Fremen. Fremen. Yeah, I'm expecting it's, it's, to see more of them. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. and then this prophecy or whatever about Paul, I'm expecting to see that he probably becomes the ruler of the Fremen and there's going to be a war, obviously. Mm -hmm. And I'm my ultimate prediction is that by the end of this Dune series, however long it goes on for, Paul will become the emperor of the galaxy, universe, whatever this, I mean, whatever, you know, he's going to become the emperor of everything. Yeah, because I mean, he mentions it towards the end of this movie, um, that he would consider challenging the emperor for the throne. Yeah. So that's kind of the biggest clue I have in terms of a plot. Yeah, I'm not gonna say whether like if you're right or wrong or anything, so I want to spoil it for you. Um, but that that is that's a really good guess, really well educated. I like it. Thank you. Yeah, since <laughs> since there wasn't a lot going on in terms of of plot, I definitely spent a lot of time. Uh, theorizing in my head which yeah. isn't to say that this this movie isn't empty right it's not filled no there. not at all there is a lot going on in this film yeah i don't know i don't know the word to explain it but you know it's it's very full of stuff i don't think that they could have advanced the plot much more than they did no well like uh, i want to talk about this crazy. yeah um the first half of the movie is really just world building we're establishing like caladan and the house of atreides and what's going on then we go to arrakis and then we establish, like, what Arrakis is like and how they mine the spice and all that stuff. Look at the sandworms for, for, for a little bit. And then pretty much about the halfway point, maybe, like, I'd say, like, two-thirds about that is, like, when the Harkonnens attack and take over Arrakis again. Right. And then the rest of the movie is not—there isn't really any plot building. It's just conflict. It's just resolving the conflict of, okay— what happens if if the Harkonnens attack Arrakis? Yeah, exactly. So that's, that's very interesting, you know, because if I was thinking about, like, if I was going to make Dune into a movie, into one movie, right, mm -hmm. or just one story based off of what I know and then the assumptions that I have about the second one, you know, a very conventional plot structure is you have three acts, right? Yeah. And so I would actually make the... You know, the very beginning of the first act would be all the stuff that happens on Caladan. And then the end of the first act, in my mind, is the fall of House Atreides, right? That's like an instigating conflict that sets everything into motion. And then throughout the second act, I would assume that um, Paul gets with the Fremen and, you know, gathers like an army, 
like harness says, what do they call it? Desert power. Yeah. Um, and you know he builds up his forces, establishes himself as a leader, and learns more about his powers of the uh, something. What what's the name of his thing? Kizawatch Hatterach, whatever. Yeah, some, yeah, something long and hard to pronounce. Yeah. But, you know, it implies that he's got a lot of powers with that, that he's going to become the one to unite the Empire and everything. Yeah. So I imagine that that's going to be the focus of the second act. And then the third act, he's finally going to come to war against either the Emperor or the House of He... Has... Harkonnen. Oh, Harkonnen. Harkonnen, yeah, yeah. sorry. So, you know, he's going to come, it's all going to come to a head. They're going to fight House of Harkonnen, probably the Empire as well. Mm-hmm. And then he establishes himself as the Emperor. And to me, that's the one one storyline. And so it's interesting to see that the entire first film is just the first act and the very beginning of the second act, you know? Pretty much, yeah. Um, so that's very interesting. That would be a really good way to make it into a three-act, like, standard movie. Um the only issue I see, they'd have to cut out a lot. Like, right, yeah. And I'm, so I'm not saying that it would be one movie, right? I'm just saying that if you were going to follow the traditional three-act structure, yeah, that's what I see happening. Because this movie does not follow the three-act structure at all. No. And it was kind of jarring. Because um, even like Lord of the Rings, like big movies that do stretch you know, a story over a long time, they still do usually follow the three-act structure. And Dune right. just doesn't. I was trying to find, like, okay, when is this an act change? Like, even when they go to Arrakis, them landing in Arrakis didn't feel like a change in act. Um, because it was still establishing the world. Even though right, it's completely exactly. different, it felt like the same act. So it was, I was, yeah, it was exactly. really weird. It's just, yeah. The end of the first act, to me, is probably the fall of House of Treaties. Yeah, I agree with that. And then, you know, it's definitely not the end of the second act because nothing happens after that. It's just, you know more exposition and world building leading into the second act so so to me that's that's why i wonder if this could potentially become three films right there's no official word i was looking this up earlier today Mm -hmm. it doesn't say if there's only going to be two films or if there couldn't be a third film so i wonder if potentially all of part two would just be the second act and then the third act would be its own movie as well i i mean obviously i i have very different opinion um I don't think so. That's an interesting idea. I think it's going to be two movies. Um, I hope so. I hope yeah. so because I think that, yeah, I think that that'll be too long to draw a story, but mm. I also could be wrong. I mean, you know, look at Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings is one book. It is those three parts, but it is one book, and they made it into three movies. Or The Hobbit was one book that they made into three movies, I guess is a better example. Yeah, I mean, that's true. Um but The Hobbit is an example of taking one book, making it into multiple movies, and failing. Like they had to make. Well, they, they were they were successful, but yeah, it wasn't yeah. it wasn't as good as it could have been for sure. No. Um, the the weird thing is, um, so I think Dune is gonna be a part one and part two. However, the story of like Paul Atreides doesn't end at Dune. I believe, I think there's one other book with him in it, and it's the next book in the series. Um, so that's very interesting. Yeah, I'm really interested to see because they do Dune Part One, Part Two. How are they going to finish up his story? Because like even the ending mm-hmm. of Dune, uh, not to spoil it or anything, but like it doesn't. It's not the end, you know. There's still more story to to live through. Um, that makes sense, but at the same time, I feel like 
you know, it's very easy to stop the story at the end of the story, you know? Like, yeah. for example, Lord of the Rings isn't the only story within the Lord of the Rings universe, but mm. it is a self-contained event within one book. And so you can easily say, yeah, there's more to this world, but we're done with yeah. it. Yeah. And That's then, true. you know, you just end the story with a satisfying ending, which I mm. wish that this movie had done, right? To me, what maybe could have been a better, more satisfying way to end this movie would have been with Paul. And, what's his mother's name? Jessica? Yeah. So, yeah, I wish Paul and Jessica had found the Fremen people and, you know, he'd won his battle and everything and then established that he's going to a better place and not making that a cliffhanger so much as a, like, oh, you know, they're, yeah, they're, they're, family is dead their house is broken apart but they're safe and they're going somewhere better you know yeah that, that provides some resolution instead of like just boom end of the movie i mean but the and the problem the problem with the ending it's not even like a proper cliffhanger because like with the proper cliffhanger right. what just, happens it's just jarring yeah it's just done with the cliffhanger they could have yeah. been like oh no paul is in danger he has this challenge to overcome and then cliffhanger and you're like no this one he was safe it wasn't quite as safe as, like, your idea of, like, actually getting to the village and feeling safe. Like, he was safe. There's no real conflict going on. There's no real reason to end it where they did. They just did. Yeah, it's very bizarre, and I don't think that it's necessarily a detriment to the movie. It's just no. very odd. And yeah. so it's interesting. Yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah, I um, agree with that. But at the same time, see, I kind of wish that, you know, even though we, we've mentioned that it does take a lot of time with some things, I wish that it had taken a little bit more time with some of the aspects within it as well. Yeah. Um, the conflict between House Atreides and House... I'm so sorry. Again, House Ha-Ha... Say it with me. Har? Harkin. Hark, Harkonnen. You're close. Har-Ko... Har-Harkonnen. There you go. Okay. I'm so sorry. House Atreides and Har, House Harkonnen. <laughs> they have yeah. this conflict, right? Uh-huh. And the conflict, as far as I understand, is... House Harkonnen wants more money. Um, yeah. And, I mean, yeah, I guess that's that's the reason a lot of wars are fought. Um, but I think that there's got to be more to it. And I wish that this film had maybe gone a little bit more into depth. And then they also mentioned... Um, there's the realization that the Emperor sent House Atreides to this planet to die that the emperor was against them as well. Yeah. And so I so, think it would have been cool to explore that side of the story a little bit more. Yeah. That makes sense. They for so for the emperor's side siding against Atreides, they explored it enough. If especially on the second viewing, if you really listen to the dialogue, they mentioned that House Atreides is getting really strong and the other houses look for them for look at House Atreides for leadership. And so right. the emperor so, so you're saying that the emperor is afraid of their strength? Yeah. The Emperor, like, House of Trade is getting too strong. Like, even they, they mention it, when they go to get the Sardaukar, in the book, the Sardaukar are made to be, like, an ins an unstoppable force. They're supposed to be, like, the best warriors in the galaxy. They're like the Spartans. Yeah, basically. Okay. But then the House of Trade's warriors can almost rival them. Um, the Emperor's power is only in the Sardaukar. Like... In the books, half the time when the Emperor makes an address, he's in Sardaukar uniform because that is his source of power. He is the military fo face of the Empire. Okay. Um, so the idea now, so You're explaining that, but that is not something that's within this movie, right? It's so not, I don't, no. I don't think this movie needed a lot more time. I think that one scene could have done the trick, okay? Yeah. And here's this one scene to okay. me. Okay. 
do it. We never it. see. Well, as far as I know, the emperor is never shown within this movie, right? No, he's not. Um, and so I think one scene with the emperor would have been great. And maybe there's a reason that we weren't shown the emperor. You know, I, like like I said, I don't know a lot of things about this. Mm -hmm. But one scene with the emperor, and he could have even been, you know, that scene with the military, right? He could have been like at that ceremony or something. Then the ceremony ends, and then the leader of House Harkonnen could have gone to the Emperor to plead with him, you know, hey, Mr. Emperor, sir, you know, we, we're we going to go jump House Atreides because they're they're too powerful, you know, your your mightiness, your majesty. And then, you know, like, you know what I'm saying? I don't, I don't really know how to explain it. No, I see, I see where you're going. I just think the one scene would have been good to establish that conflict and show us the Emperor because... Do we have a That's face something I would like to see. Yeah. Yeah. The the weirdest thing about the Emperor actually I remember this from the opening scene of the movie, when they're doing like their little bit of exposition and world building about the history of the spice trade. Yeah. Um they mention the conflict and the Emperor and how the Emperor makes people stop doing their mining. And they go straight from the exposition about the Emperor to showing Dave Batista's face. And so I thought he was the emperor for the first like hour of the movie, and I was like, "This is so weird." That's like, funny. He's not acting like the emperor at all, and so <laughs> I think they could have done yeah. slightly better with that one thing. That's funny. I never noticed that, um, but also like I knew the cast, and I knew right. Like when they showed him, he, his name in the book is like Beast Raban. Like he's he's known to be like just an animal and just rude and well, not rude, like vicious. Um, so I know it's like, oh, that's that's that's, good, that's him. That's Raban. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, he does a great job. Um, okay. Yeah, so see, that's a good, that's it's a not good a major thing. thing. I just, I would I would have been interested in seeing something like that one single two to three minute scene that I think would have maybe established the stakes of this conflict a little bit better for someone who has no context like myself. Yeah, that makes so, sense. And even on the, on the Harkonnen side, you mentioned establishing the conflict a little bit better. I thought they did a decent job of establishing that the Emperor was getting jealous of Atreides' power and needed to put him out. On the Harkonnen side, they didn't flesh out that conflict really at all. It's just about the money, basically. You know, we lost Arrakis, we lost the spice trade. Right. Is the conflict about more than that in the book, or is it just about money? Like that. I mean, that seems like a pretty dumb reason to have a, a war, but at the same time, that's you know historically very accurate that the wars are fought over things like that. So yeah. is, is there more to it than that? There is a little bit. Um, okay. I'll, uh, not maybe not a little bit like a, a good sized bit if that makes any okay. sense yeah um, don't go too in, don't, don't go into it too much it might be spoilers for the next movie I was just it, curious it isn't um, basically House Arconan and House Atreides they've been rivals for centuries um, so a lot of the reason why was, you know House Arconan was involved in the plot and um, the Baron briefly touches up upon it right before he kills Duke Leto, or I guess he kills himself. Um, mm -hmm. Right before Duke Leto dies, um, he says, you know, for centuries we've been trading blood for blood, but no longer. Um, right. They've been rivals for centuries. They've been warring and having little disputes for a while. So this was Yeah, the Baron I was kind of thinking up on him. that. It seemed to me like House Harkonnen and House Atreides are probably the two main factions of the Empire. Yeah. It seems like there's a bunch more, but those are like the two at the head, and it's kind of like you know, classic. This town isn't big enough for the both of us. You know, they're destined for conflict, and only one of them can come out on top. Yeah, that's 
Yeah, pretty much. And then and House Arconan is made to represent like evil, especially the Baron. Like it's just made to represent like gluttony yeah, yeah, and I evil. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Yeah, then also House Atreides is just the opposite. It's very so, noble. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it seems to me also that both of these houses are planning on making a play for the throne because Paul mentions that the Emperor doesn't have an heir currently, right? Mm -hmm. So if these two houses are the biggest in the Empire, then presumably one of those houses is going to be the one that takes control of the Empire when the Emperor dies. And so that would make sense, I guess, for them to wipe out House Atreides so there's nobody in their way of taking that final step of succession up to power. So that's interesting. Yeah. I oh. actually hadn't thought about that too much. That, yeah. Um... I want to ask you, you've been asking a lot of the questions and kind of guiding the conversation really well recently. Um, you talked a lot about your favorite scenes, a lot of like the smaller tension scenes. We haven't talked about the big scenes, like uh, when Arrakis comes under siege by the Harkonnens or like the really big scenes that I personally enjoyed more than the smaller scenes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I did enjoy this the scene where House... Atreides falls. That's probably one of my favorite scenes in the movie because of how much of a spectacle it is. Yeah. It starts off really cool, very tense, very character driven. Mm -hmm. And then towards the end of it, you know, you get to see your typical thing. And, you know, a lot of people pay money to go to a sci fi movie so they can see big explosions and, you know, crazy fireballs and everything. Like, you know, that, that's yeah. what a lot of people are expecting to see in a sci fi movie. And we that's got what that. I was kind of thinking I would see. And yeah. so, yeah, I just was very very pleased with both ends of it. I enjoy that there's this mysterious assassin sneaking around at first, mm -hmm. and you know, you're like, who is this? And then by the end of it, when you discover that it's the doctor, it all makes perfect sense, you know? And there's the clues leading into it. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you realize this afterwards, right? That the doctor gave the sleeping pills to the rulers of the house so that they wouldn't be woken up, right? Yep. Which is why Paul doesn't wake up until he's on the ship and the same with his mother, mm -hmm. but the the leader of House Atreides, what's his name again? Uh, Duke Leto. Duke Leto. He, by the way, he was a phenomenal, phenomenal oh, Oscar, actor. Oscar that, Isaac Oscar did amazing. Isaac, yeah, yeah. He's fantastic in that role. Very good leader, very regal, very dignified. Absolutely. But, you know, you notice the night before when his, I guess she's not his wife, right, but Jessica, um, when she tells him to take the medicine, he's like, no, you know, I, I want to sleep, but not like that. And he's the only one that actually woke up. Mm -hmm. So I thought that that was a really cool detail to this scene. You know, it's just so intricate, the entire thing that he witnesses that their housemaid was killed. And then he gets tranquilized. And then you get to see this entire just massive scene where the armies all wake up. And they're running to their ships. And then all the ships exploded. And you just see how, how hopeless it is. But then yeah. these people are very noble. House Atreides to me is kind of like Gryffindor from Harry Potter, right? I think they're like ridiculously noble. Mm. Um, maybe it's unrealistic intentionally, right? That they just are very good. And you see that, you know, they never give up. Even though they know that they're going to die, <laughs> they just charge into this fight against this ridiculously massive force. Yeah. Gurney. Just, you know, Atreides. It's yeah. awesome. Gurney Halleck, like, um, he was Josh Brolin. Um, mm -hmm. Gurney Halleck was like, get in the ships, get get them off the ground, and then all the ships explode, and so you yeah. just you just see him turn and look at the troops that are landing, and he's like, I I was when I watched it at home, I said it out loud because I was just so 
excited. I'm like, oh my gosh, Gurney's gonna fuck some shit up. I was so ready, and he just goes, he's like, everybody on me. You see the explosion. It's an amazing scene. I absolutely, I lost it. It was so good. Yeah, and I, I did like that they actually didn't focus too much on that battle. You know, they could have made a like a 30 minute scene out of that, mm-hmm. um, like some big crazy Lord of the Rings style fight. Right? Yeah, but we didn't need and that. Yeah. yeah, they didn't. I loved that. There was more important things going on. Um, mm-hmm. You see Gurney is like, you know, he's like, follow me, Atreides. And like, he just charges in there and you get the idea that they're going to war. And yeah. then you see them start to lose the battle and then instantly they're on to the next thing. And I, I thought that was awesome. Yeah. You know, normally movies tend to dwell on those action sequences for way longer than they probably should. Yeah, which it was awesome. On the flip side, when Duncan, when Duncan Idaho, uh, Jason Momoa, when he, his character is making his es- escape from the city... They did tend, I thought, to go a little bit too far in his action scene. Yeah, I agree. That was definitely more standard action, which for his character specifically, I did kind of like it more. They're kind of establishing him as like this champion. Oh, yeah. You know? Absolutely. And so it gave a little bit more of character to him. Although it is a little weird. Um, Jason Momoa is one of those actors that is very recognizable for roles that he's played, right? He is yeah. in Game of Thrones, which I haven't seen. I've seen. So it. I don't know the name of the character, but he's the wife of like one of the main characters. Oh, no, he's not the wife. Excuse me. <laughs> I didn't even catch that. I like I knew what you meant. That's Yeah. Fun. Yeah, his wife is one of the main characters. She's like the head of the house with the dragons or something. Mm-hmm. Um and then also he's obviously Aquaman in um the DC films. Yeah, and his Aquaman film, you know, was phenomenal and grossed over a billion dollars, right? So he's very recognizable from that. It's very iconic for him. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's a little bit jarring to see him in this film, especially in those action sequences, because you just kind of start to, you know, recognize his other films. Yeah, you're like, wait, where, 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 where's Batman? Yeah, yeah I think here? they still did a really good job with establishing his character as very selfless very noble and you know a good fighter so it makes sense that he's willing to like take those risks yeah and i liked i liked you know his death scene too that he sacrifices himself for the heir to the atreides throne that was very noble Mm -hmm. i you remind me of something really weird um like during his death scene and there's a lot of times during the movie where they do this how they mix the sound was different oftentimes we saw it in tenet and i think we saw it in this movie as well dialogue was very rarely on top of the audio mix a lot of the times you had to kind of listen through the music and through the sound effects in order to hear what they were saying uh-huh. which did you notice that or am i just being weird no i didn't notice that i'm definitely not as um into the editing of a film as you are but i i can see what you're talking about for sure yeah do you, i want to i want to know what you thought about that because me personally it's interesting because now we've seen two films recently, both that were made to be more just cinematic films, and they they use that same trick or that same trope. Does that hinder the film or does it help it? For myself, I'm honestly not sure where I stand. I love loud sound effects and I love the music. Uh, their sound effects and Hans Zimmer's score worked super well together. But having to listen through that to listen to the characters, I don't know how I feel about it. Oh, uh, yeah. Can you ask that question one more time? Uh just like rephrase it, sum it up real quick. Phrase it, yeah, because I did it long. It got, it got a little long-winded. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, did it help the film, having the dialogue being like the bottom of the mix, or did it hinder it? 
I don't know. I think it's a different choice, and I I didn't th- notice it during the film, right? So I wouldn't mm-hmm. I wouldn't be very educated on this. I would say it's different, but I don't. I didn't think about it enough to know whether or not it makes it better or worse. You know, it could even be the same, just different. Like, oh, that's unique. That's interesting. It's different. Yeah. But it does make more sense in terms of how it would actually be like, you know? Because when you're in a combat environment or any kind of, you know, envi- like if it's very loud, you know, you're the first sound you're going to hear isn't the other guy talking to you. Yeah, half the time they're talking, they're around loud machinery. Um, right. So yeah, it does make sense. Yeah, so it makes sense, but I don't know if that necessarily makes it better or worse. Yeah, I would definitely say, since you didn't notice it in this film, and I would want to say it as well, Dune did it better. Because like in Tenet, one of the number one complaints is that people couldn't understand the dialogue. Um, yeah. So I think dune mixed right even though i wish the dialogue was a little bit easier to hear sometimes i think they did it right when tenet they would say lines and it's like well we've heard you're like i know that's important but i mm-hmm. what did you say yeah i couldn't understand half the stuff in tenet so yeah definitely i would say that dune did it better did it the way that it was supposed to do it yeah um i'm trying to think well we are at about let me check the time here we're at about 53 minutes. We could probably go on for hours longer. Yeah. Um, okay, I want to bring up one thing that I noticed very prominently, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on it as well, okay? Yeah, shoot. So these civilizations are clearly very advanced, right? They mm-hmm. have space travel. They can travel presumably faster than the speed of light, and the movie kind of implies that spice is like the mysterious magical thing that enables them for super fast star travel, right? Yeah. So they're clearly very advanced civilizations Mm. and they have big guns and they can make big explosions and stuff but when it comes down to people fighting they have swords and to me that was very weird i didn't understand why they did that i mean it's just you know it's a very it's a very typical sci-fi thing to like be in kind of like a a different environment it's just so weird they clearly had gun technology right because that's what they were using to shoot down the house of trade ships and explode them yeah um and they have lasers which you see you know you see those in a couple of scenes mm-hmm. so it's interesting to me that their combat is done entirely with swords is there a reason for that yes so there's a mix of reasons um one kind of one of my complaints of the books so they make it a little bit confusing um in this universe, they have shields. You saw it. They have shields over their body. They can have shields over their ships. Yeah, um, I thought that was really cool. Yeah, it's really cool. The thing is, so, you know, as soon as you introduce, with especially with combat, as soon as you introduce a new technology, you have to figure out, okay, how do I fight against it? Mm-hmm. Um, so what happened is shields block everything that's coming in fast. So the way around that is like when, and they, they, they don't say it, they say it once, and then it happens in a few shots. But it's not emphasized enough, I feel like. But basically the idea is when you're fighting somebody with shields, you have to move your knife really slowly in order to kill them to like fake the shield out, basically. So you move your knife slow, 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 and then you kill them. Interesting. There's a, there's a couple shots where Duncan Idaho does it in like some of his big fights, which I thought was awesome that they remembered mm-hmm. to incorporate that into the fighting choreography. 
where like you see they're fighting block 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 and then he puts like the blade next to his throat he's moving slow slow and then he slits their throat i do remember seeing that now see here's here's a counter against that though that mm -hmm. makes me this is actually maybe the one inconsistency i noticed throughout the entire film yeah which i didn't even know was an inconsistency until just now when the doctor shoots the the i'm sorry what's his name again the lord um, uh duke leto or duke leto yeah duke leto when the doctor shoots duke leto with the dart it's clearly traveling pretty quickly right because it's a projectile yeah and it, it still manages to get him yeah so that is a little bit inconsistent to me although i did notice that actually well the, the dart... dart didn't hit him immediately it hit his shield and it was like frozen there and then it like slowly uh, got him and yeah. so was that is that the thing that exists in their universe maybe that they have technology that's advanced enough that it can slow itself down like when it hits the shield and then do that trick you're talking about so this is where my knowledge of dune kind of fails um, okay because the dune book itself it doesn't do a great job of describing oh, that's a good hey, let me rephrase yes so with to answer your original question about like why don't they have guns? They don't use guns in combat because they have project they have the shields. So kind mm -hmm. of projectile based combat isn't used it's very relevant. Yeah, because okay. it, it doesn't make sense. Um, so that's why they use they use swords to try and trick the shields. With like they you did see that they had rocket turrets and they had like artillery shells that were destroying the ships and the dark mm -hmm. gun that the doctor was using. I do not know like i literally do not know if that's in the dune universe because the dune book itself introduces the universe and it does some things but like even in like the 30 pages i've read of dune 2 the author expands upon the dune universe and what's in it throughout all of his books so it's possible in like dune 4 okay. they talk about artillery that like the stuff that we see mm -hmm. but in dune so 1 then, it's not mentioned so then i will probably say that for now this is probably an inconsistency although that is incredible right that's the only inconsistency that i noticed throughout the entire two and a half hour film yeah but even... a lot of action films especially they make a ton of mistakes so that's oh yeah very... but even if you watch closely when they're blowing up the ships with artillery the artillery round would you know drop shoo, hit the shield then it'll move slowly but it's still spinning still going and it have like a delay detonation like the artillery shell would hit the shield move slowly through it and then detonate when it hit the the ship Right, so I wonder if with that, maybe it's, you know, you drop the artillery shell, right, and then it hits the shield, so that stops its movement. But then once it stops moving, it's still being propelled by gravity, right, because they were dropping them from above. Yeah. And so then maybe that's how those artillery shells work, you know? Probably. And see, like, I'd probably have to read more into Dune in order to find out whether or not that's an actual, that's an actual technology that Frank Herbert wrote about, or if that's something that Denny, Dil, Denny Villeneuve added. Um, yeah. Because even... I started talking about it, but I stopped because it wasn't quite correlate. Especially in Dune 1, he doesn't flesh out like the way the world looks and the way the technology looks and how it behaves very much. Um, which mm. is something which I, I think that's okay for a film. You know, I don't think that a film needs to uh, get into all that exposition stuff. That's the kind of thing that could really seriously weigh down a film. Yeah. My, my point is this, though. Like, like, the guild ships, like the giant massive ships that they use to transport people on and off world... Uh -huh. literally were not described once in Dune 1. However, both the 1980s film and Dune's and the this new Dune film pretty much use like the same 
look for their ship, like the massive, like empty cylindrical ship that you can see above orbit. Mm-hmm. If I remember correctly, those ships are that same shape is is in both movies, but it's not mentioned in the original Dune. Okay, well, I mean, that makes sense, right? Because I'm sure the, that ship is probably mentioned at some point down the line. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that technology is obviously established within the universe, so it makes sense to be using that design even though it wasn't mentioned in the first book. Yeah. Um, but yeah, even... But yeah, so yeah, in the... Just my point, again, just rephrase it. Frank Herbert just didn't describe anything. Like, even, like, the mining, the mining operation... Mm-hmm. He describes a mining operation, how it works, but he doesn't describe what, like, really anything looks like in very much detail. So, Denis Villeneuve either read all the books and knows more info than I do, and or he did an amazing job at filling in the blanks, and even Lord of the Rings had to do it, because um, right. Tolkien didn't describe everything to its minutest detail that you could put it on screen. They had to go in and say, okay, what do we think that would look like? And they did a fantastic job in Dune and Lord of the Rings. I would say that uh, I think that it's both of those things. I was listening to an interview that Denny Villeneuve gave, and it does sound like he is a big fan of Frank Herbert's work and that he's read the Dune books before. So I'm sure that he is operating with a bigger knowledge than you would have. Probably. But obviously still, you know, this book wasn't written with the sole intent of being a screenplay, you know, so... Yeah. Clearly, they still had to come up with their own things, and they did a fantastic job. Absolutely, great, very visually pleasing film. Yeah, um, you didn't say this in your original question, but again, like kind of talking about technology, there's no computers like at all in Dune. Yeah, I heard something about that that they were banned in the universe or something. I'm sure that later on in the series, it probably goes into that a little bit. They, I don't know, probably. Um, so. But the computers were banned, um, like, thousands of years ago. Mm-hmm. Basically what happened, I mean, it's what we all worry about. Um, they made artificial intelligence, it got really good, and then all the robots banded together and started killing all the humans. Nice. And so, yeah, Classic. it's great. The humans banded together, and, you know, Terminator style, we beat the robots, but since then, uh, no robots in the form of a human or a human mind are allowed at all. That's pretty sick. Yeah. So I like that. That, this is something they also skipped over in the movie. That's where the Mentats come in. A Mentat is a person who's been trained since, like, the day they were born to basically be a human computer. They're just really, really good at analyzing information and making calculations. Interesting. So, and there were two Mentats in the movie. How do you say that? Like, where, where would they have been? Well, so Thafur Hawat, he's like the fat round guy. Um, oh, with, the guy, yeah, the guy who's like one of the heads of the security for House Atreides? Yep, he is a Mentat. Is that something that's gone into detail more in the book, I'm guessing? Yeah, it's, it's talked a lot more about in the book. And it's important because like he they, they use his calculation stuff, um, a lot, and it's a lot more prominent in the book. Because, I mean, it's a book, there's more words and, you know, stuff they can fill in. Interesting, like. yeah, that's, that's kind of a, that's a cool detail. Um, I'm going to be honest, I did not notice at all. Like, it didn't stand out as weird to me in the slightest that there were no robots and computers and stuff like that in this film because, to me, it had a really good balance between being super technologically advanced and super fantastical kind of, you know, old-style stuff. Absolutely. So I never never expected anything like that, and it just 
felt normal to me. Yeah. Well, especially in the movie, like they filled in like the gap with like robots and stuff. They filled that in with like the ornithopters and the technology that they did use. When it comes to right. no computers, that's kind of, for me, that, that stands out a lot. Like, especially like even watching the film, you're like, why don't they have the computers? They have everything else. No computers. What's going on? Mm-hmm. That was interesting. Yeah, I did notice within the, you said they're called the ornithopters, the helicopters with mm-hmm. the, like, the weird wings. Okay. Yeah. So I did notice on board in the scene with the sandstorm mm-hmm. um, that Paul, when he was flying, I saw the the instruments and they were definitely, you know, a lot more old fashioned than you would expect. So I was, I was impressed that they, you know, were operating with that knowledge. And then, you know, if there's no computers in that world, then it makes sense that they would be using the more physical instruments like that. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, there you go. That's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Is there anything else we want to touch up on? I think that's pretty much it. I mean, we could find yeah, things to talk about really forever. Good, yeah, that's a really but, good, I think, summary of the different things that made Dune a good movie. Um, yeah. I guess overall, what would you... What's your like final opinion of Dune? Your final thoughts? One, one. Actually, hold up. Uh, to going off of that, do we want to rate the movie? Do we want to? Do we want to rate it? We haven't figured out. Yeah, we want to do a rating we system. Go ahead and give give our ratings. Okay. Do we want to do it out of ten? Out of five? Out of thirty-two? Like how Let's we go with out of ten for now. Out, out of ten. ten. We can okay. always change it up later. So of course, something final standard. thoughts and your personal rating. Um. Final thoughts. Amazing movie. Like, like I said, I cried multiple times. Super good. The last third drags out. The first two thirds, I'm in it all the way. I love it. The last third, kind of lost interest. Even my first time. Like, just the last third just doesn't have the same weight and, like, cinematic glory that I felt the first two thirds have. Mm, that um, makes sense. So, amazing movie. I love it. I'm probably going to watch it again because I have HBO Max. I'll probably watch it again in, like, a week or two because I've watched it twice. Um, mm-hmm. And I love sci-fi, so it was great. Um, Faithful to the novel, probably the best rendition we've had of Dune ever. Uh, if I were to rate it, I would say, because it's not perfect, we've talked about that. Um, right. I think like an 8.5. It's not quite a 9, but like anything, giving it anything lower than 8.5 feels like an injustice in, in my mind. So that's, okay. that's where I'd put it. Okay. All right. That makes sense. Um, to me, this movie, I think, was is a fantastic experience. Like I said earlier in the podcast, you know, definitely, like, if you're going to see this movie, if you do see it at home, cool. But this movie needs to be seen in a theater. Maybe not at first, right? But, like, at some point, you have to see this movie in theater. You know, a yep. lot of the reviews I've seen um, and articles and whatever they say, this movie needs to be seen on the biggest screen possible. Mm-hmm. And I agree with that because you know there's just so much going on it's such a spectacle that is fantastic to see um ray you mentioned to me the other day that dune is like dreaming with your eyes open or something like that and that stood out to me because it you know really does feel like that it's unreal i I couldn't possibly imagine i don't want to interrupt you something this fantastic i don't want to interrupt you but you can't quote me wrong because this quote has to be right um i'm sad that i forgot to say it earlier um this because I was comparing Dune and Avatar to each other, which is a horrible comparison, by the way. They're both really good sci-fi movies. Shut up. No, I disagree with that. But that, that's different conversation. We can talk yeah, about yeah. that. We have to do like an Avatar review. Yeah, just what's the quote? What's the quote? Okay, so quick. James Cameron said when he was making Avatar, he wanted it to feel like 
people were dreaming with their eyes wide open. And that's what Avatar feels like to me. Okay. Dune feels like you're living in a dream. You're not watching a dream. You're not dreaming with your eyes open. You're like in a dream. Because that's how like immersive and big Dune feels. All right. That's my well, quote. with knowledge of that quote, let me retract my previous statement <laughs> Sorry. and say that Dune feels a lot like Avatar. It feels like dreaming with your eyes wide open. Um, and it is fantastical. And I just had to say that to make Ray feel bad about himself. Oh, of course. It, it's, very, it's a very interesting movie. Um, I could never have possibly imagined or created something this incredible within my own brain. You know, the creativity of everyone that was involved with that is amazing. The cast is astounding, like fantastic acting from everyone that was in it. Um, yeah, it was a great movie. But like I mentioned, I thought that there were definitely a few significant, not problems, but things that just, you know, weighed the movie down, kept it from reaching the heights that I thought it would. So to me, this movie is a 7. Um, 7 out of 10. It is a good movie. I will rewatch it again, and I think that whatever happens in this sequel will probably change the rating. But currently, I couldn't give it any higher than that because it felt just a little bit too long and a little bit too slow, and I just need a little bit more information and plot movement. And those things, I think, could have made it up to that next level of greatness. That's fair. And I, I saw somebody else say something similar. Like, if you know, Dune 2 comes out and it lives up to what we hope it's going to be, we might think Dune 1 is better than it is because it's, it's not the end of a story because that's what it is right now for us. Right, absolutely. It's a segue. And that, yeah, that one thing is a significant... It is so hard to explain. It's just so weird. I've never, you know, I've never seen a movie that acted like this movie acts in terms of like preparation for a sequel. So I'm very interested yeah. and excited for the sequel. And I hope a lot of people do see this in theaters so that it can get greenlit for a sequel and then we can see the amazing, fantastic world of Dune a second time. Absolutely. Sweet. Well, I think that's about it. Um, you did the intro, you do the outro. Let's get out. All right. Well, thank you guys for checking in on our podcast. And I hope that everyone likes this content. And we will see you all next time. Yeah, one, I shouldn't add this because it's an outro. I don't care. One final note. Yo, different thoughts. We should probably try and set up some way to communicate, like, you know, YouTube comments. Um, I'd love to hear different thoughts. We go, to our, go to our YouTube video, actually, if you watch our podcast. We have a, we're going to put up a YouTube video, spoiler-free, shorter review. Um, say what you thought. Say if you have different thoughts about it. Don't spoil it on our YouTube. Um, but, like, if you, you know, if you have thoughts about Dune that you want to voice, absolutely voice it, and we'll do our best to respond. Yeah, definitely. We'd love to hear everyone's different insight, and I'm, I'm sure everyone will agree with me because I have never, ever made a decision that was controversial in the slightest. <laughs> so it'll be, it'll be fun for everyone to pick on Ray in the comments. I can't wait for that. Of course, of course. Sweet. Yeah. Uh, All right. We'll see, see you all next time.